0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. So this week we have a very special treat. We're going to be posting a few additional podcasts that were recorded at the Vanity Fair New Establishment Summit in Los Angeles. These are interviews with CEOs, celebrities, comedians, journalists, and the most famous lawyer in America right now. Today's show is with Andrew Ross Sorkin, the journalist at The New York Times and CNBC host, who sat down with John Stankey, who is the CEO of AT&T's four-month-old Warner Media division. And they talked about the future of media, the future of HBO, and how AT&T is going to take on the big, bad Netflix. Uh, Later this week, we'll also be posting a couple of amazing interviews, one with Monica Lewinsky and the comedian Hannah Gadsby. That one you will not want to miss. And finally, we'll have an incredible interview with Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels' lawyer, and our very own Emily Jane Fox, who will sit down to talk about Trump in 2020, why Avenatti might run for president, and what Trump's people are most afraid of so without further ado i present john stanky and andrew ross sorkin Good morning. Uh, good morning, everybody.
1: Uh, it is a privilege to be here with you and, of course, uh, with John Stanky to talk about uh, the future of media and the future of Warner WarnerMedia uh, in the midst of a uh, media landscape that seems to be changing all the time. Uh, I had a plan uh, for this conversation, but it has been upended because while uh, Katie and David were speaking, um, you guys... John Stanky and uh, Warner Media uh, just made an announcement, and I want to read you uh, that announcement, making news, and I want to talk about it. Uh, you just filed an 8K that said, today we are announcing plans to launch a new direct-to-consumer streaming service in the fourth quarter of 2019. This is another benefit of the AT&T Time Warner merger and we're committed to launching a compelling and competitive product. You go on to say that this will be, uh, will offer new choice for entertainment with the WarnerMedia collection of films, television series, libraries, documentaries, and animated animation loved by consumers and the world. Um, that came out today? Came out literally, wow. literally four minutes ago. Okay. So let's talk about this news. Let's unpack it. Let's try to understand what it means. Um, and really then I think we can get into a, a whole host of other questions, but, but what is this news today? There's been a lot of conversation about a direct-to-consumer con- product,
2: uh, not just from you but from others. Well, I think more importantly, you know, I want to just, as we were walking off stage, David told me he needed to change his answer It was Stars is Born is what he said. So favorite film. I want to get that right, favorite film. Um, <laughs> Good, you should go see it take your kids <laughs> uh, look what we did is we, we affirmed what i think had been long rumored that we are going to introduce a warner media centric direct to consumer product in the fourth quarter of next year that product will be anchored by hbo as a lead brand as part of the offering uh, around hbo will come a great library of additional content from not only the Warner Media properties, but also some selective third-party license content. And the driver behind this is really straightforward. We know that there's customers who love to engage with our content. We've got a great history of building it, um, much of which they can't get in one place. And we want to build a great user experience at a great, really compelling price point, so that they can get it in a way that uh, they want to do things, which is on their terms, when they want it, where they want it. And we think it's going to be a really nice. Okay, offer. So let's
1: just, let's just unpack this though, because we have a couple things going on. We obviously have Netflix over here. We have Disney moving into this space in a, in a meaningful way. Um, there had been for a, a long time a view that HBO was going to be the the tip of the spear for for you in this in this realm, meaning that that HBO was going to be the property that was going to compete with Netflix, uh, if you will. This is taking HBO as one piece of now what seems to be a much larger puzzle.
2: Yeah, I I think uh, HBO is a really important brand, a really important property for us, and it's a very unique property in terms of how we go and win the spirits and minds of customers. And we're gonna to continue to invest heavily in that. I think you're gonna see a stronger HBO as this offering comes to market. I think 2019 is going to be one of the best years for HBO in terms of programming lineups that we've ever seen. And we're investing at a heavier clip to make sure that that in fact happens. And I'm, I'm really excited around what that will do. However, um, I don't think HBO singularly as its own standalone brand Will meet the needs of the broad scale of audience and customers that we ultimately want to address, and I believe this platform that we'll put in place and the offer that we'll have will see other strong brands around it that a customer can identify with and they understand what that means.
1: So will HBO still be a standalone brand? Can I can I buy HBO separately, or is this much uh,
2: just a much larger package? Absolutely, you can continue to buy HBO separately. We're going to continue to work very aggressively with our wholesale distribution partners. Um, We believe there's a way that our wholesale distribution partners that sell HBO today may choose to go and move this product as well. But what's different about this product is it's HBO and more. It's HBO. Can I buy the other piece of it separately? No. Without HBO? You You will buy it with the other product, so it will come together.
1: Okay. One more question related to this. Pricing. Right now, HBO is probably the most expensive uh, premium pay service on a standalone direct-to-consumer basis. I assume it has to become more expensive with the addition of these other products. How do you think about that?
2: I actually disagree. I think from a utility perspective, HBO is one of the best values on the market right now in terms of the emotional engagement that people get with the content. And clearly, what we want to do here is we want to ensure that what we're offering on a combined basis is compelling. And I think on the price that you will see, which we're not gonna put pricing out there until shortly before we get in the market for obvious reasons, but the price that a customer will see on a combined basis of HBO plus the additional brands that come with it, they're gonna look at that and say that's a very, very compelling I guess my offer. question is, if,
1: you, if how do, by default, it has to be more expensive than HBO currently is. Currently, HBO is more expensive than Netflix in most in most cases. So my question is, are they going to be Do you consider them comparable products or are they supposed to be priced competitively or you don't think about it like that
2: i don't think about it like that and i would say first of all the differential between hbo and netflix is maybe not as big as you might think on a rack rate basis when you look at the average netflix subscriber that chooses to buy up on options on streams and hd content and the like Mm -hmm. all of which you know are something that we get in and i would also say um, you know, when you kind of look at how things are oftentimes bundled in at retail with HBO, but it will be more expensive than the current quote-unquote rack rate for HBO, but it will be right. a tremendous value
1: and for what it. Is the pro- what does the product look like? And the reason I ask is you obviously have carriage arrangements uh, through your other cable companies, uh, through, through, through your other cable channels, so it's not clear that, that pro- the product that you currently have can just migrate itself over to a direct-to-consumer business, I'm thinking, for example, ESPN Plus, which just uh, reached now a million consumers. But by the way, the price point for ESPN Plus, I think, is only $4.99. You know, that is a very different product. That doesn't look like anything that ESPN has ever created. Mm -hmm. Will this look like something that's already out there that you guys already
2: already distributed the combined offer will not look like something that's already out there especially given the depth of the library and the options that are HBO as it stands today will be even a better product and I think first of all with our wholesale partners that rely heavily on that product it's in their interest to see a better HBO more engagement higher value from it with no additional uh, pricing as a result of that is a good thing and If we can add on to that something that drives even further engagement, drives things that lower churn in the package and gets higher levels of customer support and customer affinity, that's
1: gonna be a good thing for all of us. Okay, Let me ask you a different question, and this revolves, and I know there's a lot of creatives in this room, and and Richard Plepler was here uh, before. There has been a a big focus, as I mentioned, on HBO and and the amount of money that HBO is spending on content relative to Netflix. HBO last year spent about $2.5 billion. Uh, Netflix spent about $8 billion. And if you believe some of the analysts, it could be closer to $13 billion. You've said you're not going to spend that kind of money, but uh, there has been talk about increasing the amount of money that HBO is going to have at its disposal, some of which would come from synergies, or at least I think maybe you've even said all of which would come with synergies. Are they still, how much money are they going to get to spend on content in the future and how does that change as a function of what you're just talking about this morning?
2: So we're we're not publicly disclosing specific and unique aspects of budgets, you know, out there. But what I would tell you is this, I think the right way to think about it is within the Warner Media family is how much do we spend on investing in content, what do we do with it over time. And you know, when you start to think about what Warner Brothers, what HBO does, what we do in the Turner family, what we're doing and in investing in native digital content. That's a it's a very large number and it's a very competitive number. And we have a library that's unmatched in terms of history and what's available to that and there's a tremendous amount of value of years of pent up investment in that library that we can bring forward and get value out of. And the way I think about the direct-to-consumer platform as another option. It's another distribution option of how we take that years of investment and the total portfolio of what we're investing every year across WarnerMedia brands and have another place to put that content. And my job isn't to build another Netflix. Our job is to build a compelling offer of content that gets a large number of customers to say it's worth paying that much money. I understand what that brand stands for. I can engage with it. And we wanna be, in my view, much more targeted with a higher affinity for specific brands that we think will engage a customer. Okay,
1: a Couple more questions, just cause this did cross the tape. And then I wanna get into uh, to your management and, and some of the larger issues that are facing uh, the, the media. But this is a philosophical question, which is, You've talked about this idea that ultimately consumers are only going to buy a handful of these bundles. Are you gonna have Netflix and this package? Are you gonna have Hulu and Amazon? Are you gonna have, and where does Spotify or, or something else fit in this? How many of these bundles do you think philosophically the average consumer is actually gonna be able to hold up?
2: I don't think we know the answer to that question. I can, I can probably guess that the number isn't 10. Um, I can probably guess the number isn't two. And so now the question is, is it four, is it six? Um, What I do know, given the business that we're in, we better be at that table when a customer makes that decision. As we think about engineering, for example, this offer, as we've done the research on it, we've looked at it from the perspective of what will cut above that noise where a customer looks at it and says, that is a collection of things I must have, it's in the consideration set. And that's literally the threshold the, the product right. will have to reach. And at the end of the day, AT&T Incorporated's job, along with Warner Media, is to ensure that that bundle of offers that we put in front of the customer, it can be a combination of content and a combination of connectivity and other services, gets into that consideration set and says, that's a relationship I want, whether it's three of those, four of those, or six of those right. that ultimately play out in the end. Okay,
1: two other quick ones on this and then we'll move on. Is CNN part of this package?
2: No, at this point, it's not. CNN does some documentary work that you'll you'll ultimately see build in a library that I think will make sense. But in terms of CNN as the linear breaking news business today, that's not part of this. It's an on-demand SVOD offer as we go in. Now, do I think that it's entirely possible, given where technology is going and how customers are consuming content, that at some point in time, There can be a merging of on demand and live linear types of content into one platform and one user interface. I think that's inevitable.
1: And then the the final question on this is what do you think happens to what might be described as the second window or the syndication window, which is to say that historically, um, and HBO is a, a good example of this, they've created programs and after six or seven seasons. Uh, they might sell them in a second window, either in syndication or to another SVOD player like an Amazon or somebody else. Now that you're building your own, now that Disney's building its own, now that Netflix is doing what it's doing, does do all of these things become walled gardens and what changes as a result of that?
2: At the, at the end of the day, I think it's probably a good thing for those that are in the creative community. And as I, as I think about where we sit today, one of the value propositions at Warner media that we want to put out there is we have a broad portfolio of platforms that we can offer to the creative community for content to be distributed over and and this this particular offer rounds out yet one more we have you know great linear distribution on Turner we've got a great premium subscription with HBO we've got an opportunity through Warner Brothers to go and lay content out into other platforms that may make more sense for them to be outside of the family of Warner Media or AT&T that dynamic i think is really important for the creative community and, and it's something we intend to sustain to the f- to the extent that there's more platforms it's you know it's a great thing because the more platforms there are the more demand there is for more content and while it may have been syndication revenues previously there will still be back end on this right. to get the right kind of creative folks involved. It's nobody's intent here is to walk away from the reality that people should participate in the success of great content. It's just one more platform of which it can be monetized differently, and it will change that windowing dynamic a bit and how people get compensated as a result right. of
1: it. Okay, Let's talk about you for, for a little bit. Oh, if we please, could. let's not. Um, you are, dare I say, often described as a telecom guy. You spent your life
2: that's the it, nicer things that people say
1: yes <laughs> um, I want to know about the transition to being in this content business for you I, I read that uh, your only uh, appointment television viewing historically before taking this job was college football what do you watch now how did did how, how, how did you have to change your, your uh, mind shift
2: I've, I've, um, I've got this Catholic guilt thing from um, when I was raised my parents would not let me watch TV. And um, I literally would get up like on Saturday morning and sneak downstairs and I would turn on the cartoons and I would put my ear right next to the the speaker on the TV so they couldn't hear it. And as soon as I heard the bedroom door crack upstairs, you know, I'd flip it off and you just prayed that the little thing would shrink before my mom or dad got down the stairs. So I've got to watch TV for a living now, right? And I get paid to do it, which is getting over the hump on this has been a little bit of a challenge. It's uh, it's actually part of my routine right now. If you walked into my apartment in New York, there are stacks of discs all through the apartment and they're in categories of uh, different things that I, I hold in inventory. And when I get home and usually my routine is, you know, I'll find something to, to eat on the way back from the office walking home and I'll go to the stack and I'll invest an hour right when I get home uh, eating and Are going you enjoying
1: this or is it? Or do you feel like you're being force fed?
2: <laughs> I actually love it. I, I, I enjoy it thoroughly. It's, it's particularly great. It's a great surprise. It's kind of like, you know, opening up the secret wrapper on something. You come home one night and you put something in and you, you know you had to watch something. You go, wow, that was great. You feel really good after you watch it. You get excited about it. There are some nights where it's like you got the coconut out of the Seas box and you go, ugh. <laughs> that wasn't so.
1: And bad. do you write notes? I mean, do you, do you say I like this, I don't
2: like this? Oh, I, I call I call the immediate you know the showrunners immediately and start to make comments about what they need to do. And you no, know. um, I've been making mental notes. Um, I, I'm trying to be disciplined around what I put my time and energy into and what I don't. And I'm also trying to be disciplined about when I express my point of view on something and when I don't, because a lot of times, frankly, my point of view. Doesn't matter. I'm a white, you know, 55-year-old male, and some of the stuff I watch isn't necessarily targeted or geared toward me. But um, I've been keeping internally my own assessment of, I think this is good, like, uh, Peter will send some pilots of stuff that we're sending out, and I go, this show's going to make it. This show may not. I'll see what's your track record so far. I'm doing I'm doing no worse than other people in Hollywood is what (laughs) 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 I'm not perfect and infallible, but it's actually pretty high. So, (laughs) um,
1: related to this news, CNN, um, Obviously, is a, is a big part and a big brand uh, as part of the Warner Media uh, franchise. I, I want to read you uh, something you said and a uh, headline uh, that was uh, written uh, after you said it. Uh, Slate ran a headline that said the journalists at CNN should be worried about their new boss, and uh, this is what th- this is this is what led to that. Uh, you said that uh, editorial independence is the freedom that is earned by people who work hard and report factually and do their job well, and that's what CNN does. When a reporter does their job the right way, does it factually, does it fairly, management job is to ensure that they can do it in the fashion they want. But it led to questions about who ultimately is the judge of whether a journalist is doing it the right way and whether that is something that comes from management.
2: So, I mean, before I get to your specifics on the question, I think actually you just read something that was done uh, from an Anderson Cooper interview fairly early on after the close of the transaction. Somehow Anderson got stuck doing another interview a week, week and a half ago with me. And um, I decided to, you know, turn the table on him and interview him. And I asked him, I said, why don't you tell the audience what's changed, you know, in almost four months now? And his answer was nothing. Uh, And it's been exactly as it has been. And he expressed that, you know, that was the reality of the circumstance. Look, nothing's changed. My comment was simply that all of us, when we do a job, have a set of professional standards that we operate to. We all have a set of professionalism and expectations of what we need to do to do our job well. And all I was conveying there is when you are a journalist, you have a responsibility to get it right and take the steps to get it right. And that's how you earn the ability to be viewed as impartial and be an objective a portrayer of facts. And that's what we expect of our news organization. I think anybody who runs an operation like that wants to lay out expectations. Now, is that my job to evaluate that on a daily basis? No, it's not. That's Jeff Zucker's job. He runs the organization. It's not being handled any differently than it was the day before the transaction closed. So let me, let me just uh, take out one other part of that story. Um, This
1: was a quote from the article, it's always difficult for a non-journalistic organization to own a news outlet. What do you make of that idea? Here's AT&T now with its tentacles all over uh, the country and in parts of the world as well. And there are things that news organizations will do, uh, oftentimes that will upset politicians, regulators, municipalities, cities, all sorts of things, and what kind of pressure that can bring to
2: bear to a larger organization that may have other needs and requirements. I mean, I don't really want to submit to the premise. I think there's all kinds of news outlets that are owned by companies that have complex business models and other interests, and at and is not the first in that regard. I mean, I would consider NBCU owned by a pretty complicated business. I think, you know, Fox and Disney have a lot of different competing interests in the lines of businesses that they run but having said that you know the way I think about what what is the advantage of an at and owning a CNN and as we talk about it internally uh, the days of people consuming their information uh, sitting exclusively in a living room watching a tv set or you know it's a fairly mature model and you know I believe that the the press plays a very important role if you're going to have a well-functioning democracy that democracy needs to be educated they need to be educated on a lot of different levels and the way i think about the marriage of a cnn and at t is what can at t's technology and distribution do to innovate to be able to more broadly take a remarkable news gathering organization with remarkable capabilities to get things right and educate the population, and more broadly distribute it through cell phones and through our relationships with customers and demonstrate additional models. For example, like what you talked about earlier, is it possible that we could see dynamic news coming into SFOD platforms over time? Sure, it is. And as you prove those things in, they become opportunities for others in the industry to do the same thing. Uh, let me play back uh,
1: another line to you this is ted turner the founder uh, of cnn who just appeared on cbs this morning uh, recently with uh, ted koppel and uh, he said this about cnn i think they're sticking with politics a little too much they do better to have a more balanced agenda what do you say to ted about that
2: i, I think ted's a remarkable guy I-, I had lunch with him a couple months ago and uh, we got into a conversation, and one of the things he said is one of the most proudest achievements in his life, which is a fairly remarkable life, is the fact that he started CNN. And he has a great deal of pride in the business, and he has a, a very strong point of view of what it should be. And um, I would tell you in that lunch, he expressed uh, a strong support for the stewardship of CNN, where it stands today, and what it has done over the last couple of years under Jeff's stewardship. But I think he said something that, frankly, I've said, you know, internally to the CNN team, Uh, at times, watching the news, not just CNN, watching any news is a bit fatiguing right now. Uh, And and I think some of us feel that way. Uh, You just mentioned an internal meeting, and I was going to say to you uh,
1: that one of the, uh, I don't know if was it revelation to you or not, but uh, many of your internal meetings uh, seem to become external. They're not so internal, are they? (laughs) uh, Seem to become uh, external quite quickly, and and we've now read a handful of articles, videos, or, or audio that's come out. How has that affected you as a manager? Because one of the things that's so important, obviously, when you talk to people and when you're trying to pursue a strategy is to have the trust of the people in the room.
2: You know, it it has been, it's affected me and it's causing me to think a lot about things. I I think when I walked into the job, you know, obviously understood this was a unique circumstance and a unique time and there were going to be, there was going to be a level of scrutiny that was probably different than anything I had done during my professional career at this point. I understood that and I knew that and I I think I internalized what, what that was going to mean. And I don't walk into a group of employees and talk with them and ever think about the fact that whatever i say isn't at some point probably going to be in the public domain i would tell you i think as any business executive right now as anybody working in an organization a good rule of thumb is to assume that you live in an entirely transparent world whatever it is you're doing it doesn't matter what you there is no such thing as something that's private and not in the public domain it may be a matter of time before it gets in but eventually everything is perfectly transparent now probably where I didn't process you know I didn't think a video of the session would be available within four or five hours of it of taking place and I don't know that I quite went to that level of well this is really transparent you know um and and I would have to say as a result of that as a guy that just generally speaking my DNA I'm not I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the news cycle and the media that's not been what I gravitate toward I like Doing things, I like fixing things. Um, I have to think differently about my job now. When I'm when I'm thinking about any issue, it's it's not just getting 60,000 people in the business to buy into something and want to move forward on it, which has always been hard, and it's particularly hard after an M&A transaction. I got to get the 60,000 people, and I also have to think about how to frame it so once it gets out into the stratosphere and a bunch of different media news outlets, that it doesn't dilute the message in a place where it's counterproductive. And that is changing my behavior and my thought process. So what's the behavior? I
1: mean, when you go, you know, Donald Trump supposedly took, took people's phones away before, before you go to, go to meet with him. You...
2: No, not quite the opposite. It's, a, it's, as I said, it's a reality that everything is transparent. Now, I have to think about ensuring that for, I like to be, I use colloquials a lot, and I, you know, free-form talking, and um, you have to be very, a little bit more diligent around what those colloquials are and ensure that they translate as well externally as they do internally, and you have to think about, why did we make this announcement today? I made this announcement today. One of the primary motivations is, look, I'm not telling you the price. I'm not telling you the content. In some respects, you say, what's the news? Well, what the news is, is we're going to make decisions to line this product up. And we're going to have employees out doing things like changing negotiations on licensing agreements and starting to do work on technology platforms and those kinds of things. And it would leak out into the back rooms and you know there'd be a little bit more out there and then a little bit and then speculation. I'm taking the speculation out and I'm casting it out in a way that now I can speak with the employee body to say let's go. Let's go tackle. And it's out there they understand the framework everybody knows and so part of this is an example of maybe a little bit more calculated approach on my side to take that step. Right. Um
1: Help us with this. Uh, since you are the, our, our resident telecom guy, uh, one of the reasons you did this deal was to bring together AT&T with Warner Media to have both access to the data and this future idea that 5G is coming, if not here already, and this idea that we're all going to be watching uh, television in a different way. What does it look like? Five years from now, we just had Jeff Katzenberg uh, up here with uh, with Meg talking about you know different forms of, of creative. But what do you think it looks like?
2: Well, I think there's a couple themes. I, I try not to, as I think about the future, I try not to lock in on any one item. I try to think of what are the general trends and the direction things where I can say, I think things are moving in this this direction. It's going to happen. Maybe I don't quite get the time frame right. Is it three years or five years? Or maybe the degree is slightly more, slightly less. But is it a significant enough issue that you want to care about it and you want to think about it? And I think there's a couple things that pop out on 5G for me. And and what I would call really not just 5G. I'd just say the dawn of ubiquitous connectivity. Um, You know, where literally any place you can go, there's no difference between the LAN in your office and the wide area network out and about. They're all the same now. They all have the same kind of scalability. They all have the same kind of bandwidth. They all have the same ability to uh, have very low levels of latency and return. And I get a couple things out of that. I said, one, I think we're gonna see a lot more autonomous uh, and artificial intelligence capabilities that are facilitated by this directly to this industry. There'll be more passengers and fewer drivers. More passengers means more time to consume. And I think there's another hour to two hours in day parts because of that dynamic that will allow for things to happen. And I think that's good for all of us because more consumption means more production and more bits and data across the network and more content consumed. When do
1: you become, right now you are friend with a little bit of foe with the cable operators. When do you think given ATT's ts ubiquity on 5G and the ability maybe to go over the cable operators to compete directly with them, that this relationship all changes?
2: Look, I, I think uh, it, whatever's it's all good for the consumer. I've always said there's really no such thing as a wireless network and a wireless network wireline network you know a wireless network is a wireline network with just, just a short wireless tail you know there's, there's fiber on the back end of every cell site today and pretty soon cell sites are not going to be two miles away from you. they're going to be 800 feet away from you. Right. Is that a wireless network? Not really it's, it's a fixed line network with little tail on it. Wi-Fi in your home's no different than that. So I, I think cable companies still have meaningful infrastructure. Couple of quick questions
1: before we go. Uh, one is, do you plan to ever create content specifically for AT and T exclusively?
2: Well, oh, I, I think it's inevitable. There'll be, there'll be content, and there'll be stuff that we do with the creative community where we come in and say. It's the right match to do this for those particular customers and that particular platform. And similarly, there'll be folks that come in and say, developing this particular piece of content is best suited for this particular distribution platform, and we should do that, and, and we'll do both within our, our business. Um, do you ever wake up with night sweats that the government's going to come
1: and actually win this case uh, to upend this whole, this whole transaction that you're now overseeing?
2: Uh, no, I don't, I, I don't, I sleep really well at night to begin with, but no, I how don't. How many hours? Dave, David I, said seven to eight hours. How many do you get? Oh gosh, I wish. Um, a good night, six hours, I would say somewhere between five and a half and six. Yeah. Uh, but on this transaction? I mean, no, I have no sweats at all about it. I mean, look, it's and have a, you had to do
1: any kind of planning or anything differently in terms of how you operate?
2: No. On the margin, there's decisions on a given day. You know, we made, we kind of made a keep separate commitment that, doesn't cause a lot of problems operationally today as to where we are. Look, the judge the judge wrote an incredibly strong order, and it was a very long and, and complicated trial. He did a great job of articulating why it was a clear and decisive victory. It's going to make it easy for the appeals court to do the right did thing. Did
1: you think that was a political case?
2: I, I don't know. I'm past that for my own health, sanity, and well-being, I'm kind of moving on and running the business. Okay.
1: Uh, final question from me. Uh, this was uh, your boss, Randall Stevenson. He said, if HBO is Tiffany and Netflix is Walmart, I want to know what Warner Media is to what? This new product. What War- Warner Media is so to a- HBO is to Tiffany, yeah. what Netflix is to Walmart. What is this new
2: package to? Uh, I'm not sure I'd quite... I, I'd look, I think there's a lot of great product in the market today. I think Netflix is a remarkable product that's met a particular need in the market. As a Walmart meets a need in the market, somebody can go in and find virtually anything they want there, and I, I don't view that as being bad. What Warner Media is, and our new product is, is I want it to be a collection of boutiques where you walk in and you say, I know exactly when I walk into that boutique, I'm getting something that meets this particular need, and it's going to come with a absolutely fully understood level of quality. And so those boutiques are the collection of brands that are there. But even a collection of boutiques needs an anchor tenant and an anchor store to go into, and HBO is that anchor tenant. Okay, you show. gave us your favorite
1: film, now give us your favorite TV show.
2: Uh, right now, I think I've said publicly, I... I uh, have been very enamored with Westworld, although I have to say toward the tail end of, of Succession right now, I'm I'm pretty excited about that, too. Okay. John Stanky, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate
0: it. Thanks to my guests this week, John Stanky and Andrew Ross If you enjoyed this show, please be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, my editors at Vanity Fair, and thank you, you, the listener. Stay tuned next week for more podcasts.